When the sun rises, I wake up and chase my dreams. I won't regret when the sun sets, cause I live my life like I'm a beast. What up? You're listening to the Lifestyle Practice Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. Last week, we left you in the middle of talking about pushing yourself to put up great numbers in your office, whether that's 5,000 a day, 10,000 a day, 20,000 a day, a million a day, whatever it is, all in an effort to achieve the income and lifestyle that you want. And we are not messing around today. We are jumping into it. We discussed our first five tips. So today we will start off with number six. What do you say, Steve? Are you ready for this? Did you bring your A game? Oh, you know it, do you, Will? (laughs) You know, we're a second half team. So let's bring it home strong now. Let's do this. Yes, yes. (laughs) I feel like, have you watched, there's a show on YouTube, Hot Ones? Oh, I have seen that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Sean Evans is the host and he he asks like such good questions and he's like memorized them word for word. It's just laid it out so well. I just felt like Sean Evans for a second when I said that. <laughs> I was all pumped up and ready to go. Are you ready to do this, Steve? Let's get in. That's it. the Hot Wings interviews, right? Yeah. 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 He's interviewed a lot of <laughs> famous people. There's like hundreds of episodes, but they go through a series of 10 wings that are getting progressively hotter on the Scoville scale until at the end, it's just crazy hot, which I talked about just jumping right into things and now I'm delaying, but (laughs) I'm going to share a quick story. Steve in dental school was always the guy that at lunch would basically bring a bunch of little corn tortillas and a bottle of hot sauce. And (laughs) that was basically how Steve lived off of five cents a day for (laughs) his meals. But Steve is a hot sauce guy. And we all went out to dinner one time to a wings place and there was a challenge and for a super hot plate of wings, like one of the guys tried just a tiny dab on his tongue and he was dying. But Steve ate all the wings and was sweating. And man, it was awesome. I'm going I'm to have to find a picture and post that on the <laughs> Facebook group. That was awesome. Yeah, that was a really good meal. And that was really hot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was like, just it was like your mouth kind of goes numb. It's like, like... <laughs> It's like that onset of anesthesia, like just going yeah. all over. Yeah. I would recommend that to everyone. Maybe we should put that down as point 11. I think there's just something about it. It just like gives you some adrenaline, clears the sinuses, wakes you up, gets you ready. It's just hot sauce. It's good. I think it's good for your heart too, from what they say. So, oh, That's interesting. After watching it, I'm tempted to try it and see what it's like. I think it'd be fun, but. Yeah, I'm sure I would die because anything hotter than Louisiana hot sauce. And I'm like, ooh, too hot. (laughs) Oh, 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 get me some milk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So last time, the last point that we talked about, point number five was we talked about having a mindset of being 100% in the moment each day in your office committed to your daily goal. Number six is sharing this mindset with your team. It is also critical that your team shares this vision. If you have to constantly be pushing your team and asking them over and over to work someone in or to explain treatment more or to offer fluoride, whatever it may be, 
then you ultimately cannot move full steam ahead. You are only as strong as your weakest link. If there are weak links, they either need to be trained to perform at a higher level or they need to be let go. Justin and I recently discussed bonus systems, and this is point number seven, and it goes along with point number six for me. If you don't have a bonus system in place, I would recommend that you make plans to listen to that episode and decide what type of bonus system is right for you and move forward. As we shared there, a good bonus system will ultimately make you more money, not be costing you money. So is your team willing to work through lunch? Because of the mentality that I've shared and partly because of our bonus system, my team is often pushing to work through lunch when they can because they know that we will all benefit from it. Yeah. Wait, 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 Derek. I think I remember you saying that your staff brings you lunch. Like, (laughs) you know, you remember that? (laughs) Actually, my front desk is amazing. And a lot of times when we're working through lunch, she'll come and ask if we want some lunch, she's going to go somewhere. And I usually will, I'll try and remember, I'll give her my credit card to pay for it. But there's a lot of times that she's ended up just paying for it. And she never says a word. She just brings it back. She's, she's awesome. That's a keeper. Yep. Yeah, if you're an employee and you're listening to this, just bring your boss lunch. And <laughs> if you're an associate, like pay $10 and bring your boss lunch. It'll be so cool. Anyways, no, jokes aside, I, I agree. If they have monetary skin in the game, they will have more motivation to go the extra mile. In my practice right now, we do a little different, but we've settled on a tiered bonus system. And it is highly motivating to my front desk to the point where they will get everyone in. I mean, I almost have to kind of pull the reins back a little bit. But if you incentivize things properly and they have skin in the game, they're going to want to get more patients in. They they won't be complaining. They'll be asking. They'll be pushing the horse along. Of course, you know, non-monetary incentive. I think it's really important to heap compliments on your staff in front of patients, you know, in reinforcing the good effort. So if we stay late with the patient, Usually they're the last patient in the office. The office is quiet. And when they leave, they'll say, wow, thanks for staying late and doing this. I'll always try to turn it back and say, oh, no, well, thank you, Savannah, for staying late to make this happen so we could do this for Mr. Jones. And then the patient will realize, oh, yeah, the assistant's right there. And and then they'll turn and the patient will kind of directly express appreciation to the team member. So that's helpful as well. Great point. Okay, number eight is limited exams. I love limited exams on the schedule. And I know you and Justin did an excellent podcast episode a couple weeks ago about really kind of making the most out of these. And uh, I just want to kind of share a few things here quickly and invite you to do the same. But these are a great way to add production for the day. For the most part, they are patients with a concern and they want to get something done that day. My front desk will usually tell these patients that come in for limited exams, we will do our best to complete any work that needs to be done. At the very least, we'll help relieve any pain that you may have. And this kind of sets things up so that we have a little bit of wiggle room. It gives me leeway to make a call if if I need to in prioritizing which patient gets treatment done that day. 
For these patients with just one main concern, if there is time, I will always try to maximize our chair time by seeing if they would like to complete any other work while they're numb in that area. You know, I'll say something like, you know, you do have a couple cavities or another crown in this area needs to be done. If you'd like, while you're numb, we can go ahead and knock these out as well. You know, it'll save you a trip and you won't have to get numb another time. Another scenario, if they're a new patient and we have time, I really would like them to leave with a comprehensive treatment plan. So many times after we decide on what to do to fix their concern, I'll get them numb and then I'll explain, you know, we need to give this 10 to 15 minutes to set in really well. If you want, we can have Sally get the rest of the x-rays on your teeth and then you can leave having a plan, knowing everything else that you need to do, need to get done. Would you like to do that? And Many times these patients say yes. A lot of times we do not see a lot of these patients until their next toothache because that's just that's just when they come in. And I found that if they leave with a comprehensive exam and treatment plan, they are much more likely to return earlier. Yeah, definitely agree. Great points. Love limited exams. You know, I've loved them a lot more the, the last few weeks as it's kind of all we've been able to do. I I spoke with a dentist last week who said that the virus shutdown of her office kind of gave her a little breakthrough. She began sitting that extra emergency or walk-in patient into the hygiene chair that was previously unavailable. And she did this for a couple of days and she found out her production increased significantly just by having that extra bit of flexibility. So it's kind of given her renewed vision on the power of limited exams, but I think those are great points. And these are golden patients. So find a way to get them in and maximize them when you do. Yeah. Okay. This leads us to number nine, which is same day treatment. Steve, you and I did an amazing episode (laughs) all about increasing the amount of same day treatment that we do. There are several things in this episode that will immediately increase your daily production. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and do so. Maybe even if you've listened to it, you need to re-listen to it again. That may be possible. One thing that I want to add here is something that I've started doing the last few months. And I actually alluded to this a few episodes ago when Justin and I were talking about, we talked about making hay. Well, you make hay while you can make hay. And then Steve actually corrected us through an email that the proper term is making hay while the sun shines. So now we've cleared that up on the air and we can move on. But the, the point is that if I ever get a patient in the chair that wants to get a good amount of work done and they're ready to pay and ready to get started, we are going to get started and we're going to, I'm going to do my best to get it done. The biggest pushback that I hear from dentists is how to fit them in your schedule when it is already packed. So here are some things that I will do to work them into an already busy schedule. Like I said, the front desk is going to let them know when she schedules them that we're going to do our best. They know that they're, they're getting worked in. And so I will reiterate to that to patients when we have decided on what we're going to do. I'll I'll let them know, Hey, we're working you into the schedule. And, you know, it's totally fine and we're happy to accommodate you just, but just so you know, it might be a little bit of a wait at times to finish up treatment on other patients. And it's very rare that I have anyone that has any kind of problem with this. Everyone's very understanding. So that's one thing. Another thing is I will look at the schedule or the front desk wheel and find ways that we can rearrange the schedule to get the work done. So 
here's a few examples of what we might do. So let's say I've already got a full schedule and now we're working someone else in that wants to get done, get a bridge or, you know, something done. That's like, okay, I really want to get this done today. I don't want them walking out and having the possibility of canceling a couple things I might do when I look at the schedule. If we have some kind of delivery in the next hour or two, the front desk will call the patient and they'll let them know that we've had to work in an emergency patient and we're running behind and then offer to see them later in the day when we might have time or just reschedule for another day. If they really want to keep the appointment, she just lets them know that's fine, but there's likely going to be more of a wait. But so far in doing this, I've never had a, a patient complain. They're usually very understanding. Yeah. Good examples. It's probably because they're given heads up way beforehand instead of just waiting, not knowing what's going on. You know, one thing I like in, in your little example there is it's important that your team or your your front desk scheduler has the goal and mindset to work people in rather than some rigid rule or a system that says we can see them, you know, between this hour and this hour, or we will have to wait until there's an open hour, or we cannot, you know, move another patient's appointment under any circumstances. I like the, how it kind of empowers her. She understands what the goal is and she can factor in the circumstances of what's happening maybe the personality of the patients she is scheduling or having to move around, but she is kind of given ownership to over that issue to, she knows what you want to have happen and she kind of works a system to make it happen rather than being stuck by some, you know, set of rules or scheduling system that will really just kind of impede you rather than empower you. Yes. Yeah. Completely agree. It's definitely important for everybody to be on board with there. All right. Number 10 is co-diagnosis. And we've talked about this several times before, but I want to approach it from a different aspect here. The reality is if you are not in the chair working on a patient, you're not producing. Obviously, you have to do exams before in order to get to the point of doing the dentistry, but the key here is helping your hygienists become as efficient at their jobs as possible. The better that they can diagnose, show pictures, and discuss possible treatment options to patients, the less time you are going to have to spend in the room doing those exams. And I know some of you are thinking right now, but but Derek, I have to build rapport. <laughs> well, let me, let me ask you this. Do you think that you could build more rapport with patients if you didn't have to spend as much time explaining what a crown is or why it's needed in this situation or why they might benefit from a night guard? The truth is the majority of our exams are taken up by us spending too much breath on treatment. Obviously, that's a big part of our job, and there will be times that you need to spend a little extra time talking with the patient. But the key here is that the better your hygienist is at this, the less time you will need to spend on this, allowing you to be more productive. We all know those chatty, talkative patients. Many times those patients may not end up getting the best treatment planning efforts from their dentist because the time in the room is taking up by talking. So the dentist doesn't feel like there's enough time to review and discuss everything needed. Sound familiar? I know I have experienced that firsthand. 
Well, what if the hygienist was able to do the majority of that work going through the treatment planning and so that your time just allowed, just needed a little bit of revising, then allowing you to talk to Chatty Cathy and finalize the treatment plan. In reality, this could allow you to build r- more rapport with patients because most of the dirty work is is done with beforehand. True. Great points. I would rather work on a phobic patient than a chatty patient, by the way, for the record. <laughs> like <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, I had never thought of that before. <laughs> they are the worst. <laughs> no, no, I like that though. It's, it's almost like you're delegating that part of the appointment out, allowing you to build more rapport or help persuade towards the proper treatment. And, you know, the more times the patient hears, here's the, here's what's needed, the better, whether it's from your hygienist or you. I remember hearing in a marketing class back in college that most consumers or like the average consumer is marketed to five or six times before they pull the trigger on making a larger purchase. So it was pretty interesting. And you know, I think it's applicable here too. So if your hygienist is sharing news first, the assistant took an x-ray and pointed to something, by the time you come in, it's not going to be brand new and maybe she'll heat up the lead for you, so to speak. And then I'd also add, um, don't underestimate the connection that patients may have with your staff, not just you. I had a lady today, actually, she was trying to decide what treatment she wanted to do for her kiddo. And we're talking and she's kind of back and forth. And then she just like turns around away from me and asks my assistant and says, you're a mom. What would you do if it was your kid? And I didn't really like it, to be honest, but (laughs) I looked at her. I was like, I hope you give the right answer. And she gave the right answer. But it just kind of reinforced that it's not all about us. You know, our team members can can build rapport and have trust with patients just like we can. And so if it's coming from them, it's all the better. Yeah. It's interesting you say that. I've had that happen several times where a patient is kind of hemming and hawing as far as deciding on what they want to do. And I'll just tell them, okay, I'll just give you a few minutes and you can think about it. I'll leave the room and they will immediately turn the assistant. (laughs) What do you think I should do? You know, and and I have had them do that before while I'm in the room, I'm talking about it. They turn to the assistant, what would you do? You know, (laughs) it's like, wait, so, you know, the better your assistants can be in, in helping there as well, but it's a little lifeline. I'd like to phone a friend real quick. Right. But Again, one of my main points here is that I am trying to find ways for you as the dentist to be doing more dentistry. So something that takes you away from doing that is your recall exams. So the more efficient you can have your hygienists, the more time you're going to have producing dentistry, therefore increasing the amount that you can do each day. Yeah, yeah. Great summary. I like that. Okay, number 11 is your clinical ability. This may seem like an obvious one, but the more productive and profitable procedures that you can keep in-house, the more productive your days will be. I cannot tell you how many times I've been talking to a dentist, listening to how much they want to increase their production, and then hear that they refer out bread and butter things like root canals and extractions or dentures. I'm not telling you that you have to do all of these things to get higher production days. But what I am telling you is that the mindset is wrong when you're referring out restrictions and endo, but you want to go take a course on sleep apnea. I think for the most part, 
in that situation, you're looking for that magic bullet to get you where you want to be. And it doesn't exist like we've shared last episode. It's a combination of all of these different things. So I'm sure if you really wanted to go that route, you could make it work. But in my opinion, it is the slower path to success. Your patients want you to offer these procedures. And if you're already offering these things, you know, maybe you decide to do implants or, or then sleep apnea or some of those other things. Yeah, great point. I mean, if you look at the lifetime value of being able to do these specialty procedures, it's really a no-brainer. And you don't need to be a clinical master. I mean, it's a great goal, but a practical way to approach it is to focus on one specialty procedure for six months or even a year. Just take a year and say, this is the year that I'm going to master endo or whatever it is. This may entail you taking some CE, you know, visiting with a mentor, maybe getting some equipment to make it easier for you or to make it doable for you and just be dedicated to adding that to your practice and adding it to your skill set. And after you do that, I think it's my opinion, after you're able to do it, suddenly you start presenting it more and with more confidence just because you believe in it more. It's more, it's, you know, it's not a distant thing. It's not a far away referral. It's like something you can do right now. So I would invest in it and you can take baby steps. So for example, extractions, if you want to take out wisdom teeth, just practice, you know, a a good first baby step is practice reflecting a big clean flap and trenching, you know, the buckle when you're taking out number 31 and just do that 50 times. And then you can take your next steps. Or if you want to get a good endo, just do upper endo over and over and over until you're really comfortable and then start moving back to premolars or molars. So, you know, eat the elephant one bite at a time. But if you can add this realm of specialty procedures that are just so much more dollar per hour, it's a really important way, I think, if you want to hit, you know, $10,000 a days to eventually be able to do these type of things. Yeah, I think I think you just laid out a really good way to kind of tackle that. You don't have to start trying to keep everything in house all right now. Just pick one and focus on that for a while. One thing that I would add there is just you can learn so much from reading a textbook. I mean, there's so many people that again, I think, you know, in trying to learn some kind of skill set, they're looking for the magic bullet CE course and yeah, there's definitely good CE out there, but there's a lot that you can do on your own just by reading a good textbook, by looking at online threads or other cases, by picking brains of of other people, and by doing exactly what you just laid out there, Steve, by starting with something small and simple and doing that over and over again until you're ready to push the envelope a little bit and do just something a little bit more. Yeah, there's so much good stuff out there. It's a great, it's a really good time to be a dentist. Like you can learn almost anything you want. Yeah. Okay. Next point. Number, number 12 is I'm titling it clinical flow. And this has to do with being able to work through your procedures in a way that, that is productive. And this can be challenging to do at times. And I think the longer you practice, the more natural it becomes. You can evaluate your flow on a single procedure And you can also do it when you're evaluating doing multiple procedures at a time. So when I look at a single procedure, look at 
each of the steps and evaluate where the rate limiting steps are. And this is where training your assistant is key. So I think of Scott Perkins here. He's the well-known dentist behind the 15-minute molar endo. And it's a controversial topic and can easily get dentists up in arms with each other about the quote-unquote right way to do endo. But you can look at it however, however way you want to, but can we at least look at some of the positive takeaways from his method? If you watch his video on YouTube, you'll see that the assistant is doing as much as possible. Scott like hardly ever looks away from the mouth to do anything. The assistant is changing out files. He has two different wireless rotary handpieces so that he never has to wait on anything. The assistant's always preparing the next step for him, doing everything possible to keep Scott's hands moving the entire time. And I I don't do my root canals this way, but I do think that it's very good learning opportunity. This has been helpful for me in understanding how to utilize assistance in making procedures as efficient as, as possible. One of my favorite procedures is doing a root canal, buildup, and crown. If I'm doing a root canal, 99% of the time, I'm going to do the crown at the same time as, as the root canal, if we're planning on doing the crown. So here's my workflow in that. I will first do occlusal reduction and lop off the top. This does wonders for improving access and visibility. Then I will cut away interproximals to get a good seal with the rubber dam. Then I remove decay, find the canals before actually placing the rubber dam. And then I complete the root canal, do the buildup, final PA, and then begin the crown prep. Perfect working length, perfect obturation every time. Oh, no, not quite. Actually, yeah, you're really good at that. Thanks, Steve. If I had a CIRAC, then I would do the buildup and crown prep. Then I would scan, start milling, and have that milling going while I then do the root canal and then, then would submit the crown after that. And this is just one simple example. And I think this is probably the most clinical we've ever got on this podcast, but I'm not doing it because I want to go in detail there, but because that is a process that I've done that over and over so many times that I've realized there's 10 steps here. And if I can kind of work these steps in and out of different places to create the best time. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really glad you mentioned Scott Perkins. (laughs) I remember uh, watching his 15-minute molar endo in dental school, right? The lunch before I started my first root canal on number three, which (laughs) took me three, four-hour clinical sessions. Right. (laughs) Poor patient. But yeah, I agree. And when creating a more lean workflow, I think the most pronounced result can come from you being able to cut down the number of visits for a specific treatment or for those treatments that need more than one appointment. You know, your root canal crown same day is is a really good example. I think dentures apply to this big time, being able to take a multiple appointment treatment and trim it down to the minimum necessary some implant treatments kind of apply to the same way. But the, you know, whatever it is, the idea is you're looking at a procedure. How can I do this in less time 
good quality in an efficient way. It's better for the patient and it is, allows us to hit our bigger goal at the same time. Yeah, great points. Okay, let's go into point number 13 is clinical efficiency. And this is different in just a little bit of an aspect in that what you want to be doing is outsourcing everything that you possibly can. So in your, you know, every state has different limitations, but have your assistants and hygienists doing everything that your state will allow. And unfortunately, I'm in Texas, which is one of the only states where hygienists cannot administer anesthesia. So I'm highly limited, but at the same time, I haven't let that limit too much my production. I can imagine that if I was in a state with expanded function dental assistants, that that would be really awesome. I mean, I probably would have another operatory or two, but being able to have someone else that I can, that I can train and really get them on board, I think would be, would be a huge help. So in this situation, I think the overall principle is that you are looking at everything that is done clinically in your practice. And again, allowing every other employee to do whatever they legally can. This doesn't mean that you're just letting them loose and and do it all. It means that you need to train them, but it's definitely worth the investment if you need to send them to more CE or spend more time with them, because ultimately that is going to raise the ceiling on what you can do each day in your practice. No anesthesia for hygienists in Texas. Ooh, that's tough. (laughs) I bet you love that. Yeah, I really, honestly, I don't think about it too often because I haven't known anything, anything different. So I'm just used to it. But yeah, I imagine if I'm ever in another state where I can do that, that would be very nice. I, we don't have EFD is where I'm at, but if my hygienist isn't with a patient, there's a hole in the hygiene for some reason. First thing I'm looking at is what am I doing during that hour? And if there are some upper teeth that need to get numb... I'm confident my hygienist can numb those really well. So I'm going to have her go do that. And that gives me 10 more minutes of my time because she goes in and she does the chit chat and talks about what they're about to do and gets them numb. And that allows me to finish with the other patient I have. So you're exchanging the value of her time with yours. Lots of other little things, you know, packing cord. I mean, packing cord is kind of like a, a moment in my procedure that I'm looking for. As soon as we get to that point, that's when I'm able to leave the room for three minutes or five minutes to do a hygiene check. I'm allowing my assistants to do that. I remember my first year out, I was just hesitant to let my assistants adjust dentures because I thought, no, they'll probably ruin it. And then I don't want to make an unhappy denture patient more unhappy. But no, that's the best thing ever is to have them do those type of things. So the more you're able to delegate the more you're able to do less valuable things with your time, the more it's freeing you up. And to be honest, staff love to do those things. Like anything that gets them out of, you know, sterilizing or cleaning the room, they really get excited and feel empowered to do those extra things. Yeah. Great points there. Okay. Our last point here is hiring a coach. This isn't something that we've really gone into depth on the podcast and it probably would be worth devoting an episode or even multiple going more into in the future. Obviously, all three of us are big believers in coaching. We've all hired multiple coaches in different areas of our lives. 
Can you be successful without coaching? Of course, but coaching allows you to accelerate your success. A coach that has been in your position before, has had to work through challenges, knows what it looks like on the other end, is going to be able to see the bigger picture. So being able to depend on and and listen to a coach that will help provide direction in knowing where you're going to get the best ROI with your efforts is going to get you results faster than you could on your own. This makes me think of, you know, I recently did an interview with Danton Bradshaw, and he is a great example of a dentist that he really wanted to be successful. He really was trying and was devoting a lot of time. And I almost picture in my mind when I think of this kind of scenario is that he was, I mean, he's almost an ideal client in a way because he was doing a lot of things. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't lack of motivation. I almost picture this car that's just stuck in the, in the wrong spot and just kind of spinning their wheels. And for me to come into that, all I had to do was just give him a little bit of a nudge and to steer him in the right direction. And he just, he just took off. And I think that's a great example of how coaching can work is that it allows you to know the direction and to know where to focus your time and can, can really make a big difference. Yeah, that's a great picture. Good illustration there. I mean, it's interesting. I was listening to uh, some Bill Blatchford stuff and he's a coach and he has a coach and he was saying like all the like the big wigs, you know, in business and stuff, they all have coaches, even though they're, I mean, it's similar to, to sports, you know, Tiger Woods, he spends millions of dollars on coaches. You know, how can the person who's best and better than everyone else require someone else to coach or teach them? And I think it's what you said. It's, you know, you're spinning your wheels, they're off the ground. You, you want to work, but you just don't know where exactly to go or what decision to make. I remember for me, the first year out, there were a couple things that I was just, you know, going back to what we talked about last time, mental barriers in my head about what is possible. Can I really fire my front desk, you know, or should I, or how should I hire someone? The motivations there, I was ready to work, you know, so hard, but just with a little orienting, you know, it just makes your your efforts so much more precise and, and productive. My kids, we've had no music lessons for the last two months with the virus and stuff, and they're like falling apart. And then we finally started music lessons again this last week, and they have just been, they've been rocking it. They each have like a couple new songs and violin and piano, just, just from that half hour of having someone else come in, kind of redirect you. And we're biased, like you said, but I think it's just such an investment with all that we put into our practices and how much we can get out of them. It's really kind of doing ourselves a disservice if we don't really consider it, if if we need help to get a lifeline and a coach on, on board. Yeah. Out of all the money that I've spent in my practice, I cannot think of a better expense or or an expense that has given me a better ROI than coaching. And I think the earlier in your career that you can do it and you can invest in 
growing and getting systems in place, getting your mind in the right mentality, the more years you're going to be able to reap the rewards. And it just opens so many, so many doors. So that is our last point for today. So hope that you guys have enjoyed these things. Like we talked about at the the very beginning of last episode, increasing your production is there is not a magic bullet. There's not just one thing, but ultimately it's doing a lot of these things well day in and day out, going back to the drawing board and looking how you can grow and improve yourself that allows you to continue to push your boundaries and to open your the envelope and expand how much you can do. And Steve and I are both big proponents that any of you listening to this can do it. It just comes down to putting those things in place, getting the help that you need to be able to reach it. So thanks for listening, guys. If any of you need any any help or have any questions, don't hesitate to, to reach out. Share your questions on the, the Facebook page or email any of us, Derek, Justin, or Steve at thelifestylepractice.com. And take care, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Great one. Thanks, Derek. See you guys.